Hi everyone, and welcome to Design is Not Neutral. My guest today is Anne H. Berry, who is a writer, designer, and associate professor in the Department of Art and Design at Cleveland State University. Her research focuses on design education, design for social impact, and diversity issues within the design profession. She is also the author of the new book, The Black Experience in Design, Identity, Expression, and Reflection. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you're ready, we can kind of yeah, get started with questions. Not sure I have anything illuminating to say, but we will see. I guess going in a little bit, just to start with kind of your background and what drew you to design to begin with. Um, I'm always kind of curious. Now everybody kind of, or most people have more of an understanding of what graphic design was, but even when I was in high school, I had no idea what it was. Right. So I just kind of fell into it and I was wondering how your experience was. Yeah. It's interesting that you um, mentioned that because I'm, I happen to be teaching for the first time in a few years, one of our foundational design classes, intro to type. And um, I found out on the first day of class, like over half the class has had some graphic design, something rather, um, before coming to, to CSU, which surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, and even, even when I was teaching at Notre Dame, like a lot of our majors, I mean, they were finding design even after maybe they'd already declared a, a major in another area, or they just didn't know, or they were changing majors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and, um, yeah, for me, I didn't really know what graphic design was until I happened to be, <laughs> randomly of all things, happened to be going to Scottsdale, Pennsylvania with my mom. This is when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, because, so so I'm my background is Mennonite and uh, there was a Mennonite publishing house there. And, um, and I met a woman there named Gwen Stom. And Gwen was a graphic designer. And she, so some of the things that she did, she designed book covers and for the publishing house. And and Mm -hmm. I remember seeing some of her calligraphy work, calligraphy and hand lettering. Mm -hmm. And that stayed with me. So I was interested in art and design, but I didn't really have like a strong background in it. Like I, you know, I had some creative ability um, and I had, you know, my experience as an undergrad student at Goshen College was, was positive but I wasn't really prepared in like looking back, I didn't really have all of the the skills that I needed to work professionally. Mm-hmm. So something like an internship would have been really helpful, right? Um, and yeah. I was like, oh, like you can be creative and like make a living doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't, I wasn't connected to AIGA. I, I just didn't have those sort of broader connections to the larger design world. I had no idea really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny now when we, we, <laughs> we talk about design and how hard it is to define what it is, um, because there are so many things that are design, um, so many things that designers do. Um, but yeah, while I was, was coming up, I really was clueless. I really was. Clueless. No, I think that's really interesting. Cause similarly, I like, I was a studio art major design minor because I was like, I think my parents were like, you should, you should make money, you know, like, right. Right. Do this oh, yes, definitely. you can make money. And so I was like, okay, I'll just like add it, whatever. And I really didn't like it. And in the higher level courses, I started to really enjoy it. Um, but same thing, like had no idea what it was, but I, I do wonder, um, just to follow up with like, kind of this, um, I guess 
I want to call it like elitism within the Mm. design world. Sure, Um, sure. Specifically with AIGA, I've never been involved Mm. with them, but I feel like there is a lot of, I guess, gatekeeping to getting those jobs at agencies and it feels like you need to network. Um, And specifically, I wonder how people talk to their students about that and how... Mm. This is, you have um, just opened the floodgates here with a very good (laughs) question. So you'll you'll have to stop me if I just keep talking, 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 because I have a lot to say about this. Um, The first thing being, I felt the same way. Mm -hmm. I felt that I remember feeling the same way, even when I was graduate in graduate school at Kent State in a good program. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a Cleveland chapter here. Um, I just felt like I was not good enough or I was not whatever enough to be part of that. It, it, yeah, it seemed like an elitist group of snobby designers was sort of my impression. Um, but it all, it all worked out. Like after that first semester, you know, I found, you know, people and community and support. And so that, that got me through to sort of get back to AIGA. And I, I, must tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty active in the local chapter here in, in Cleveland. Um, and I'm, I just finished up a, a term as well. I was student development chair for two years and then um, co-chair of the diversity inclusion and ta- uh, diversity, diversity, equity, inclusion task force chair. Um, so this just rolled off of that. Um, and we also have a very active student group at CSU. Okay. Yeah. Which in some ways is ironic. Yeah. Um, partly because, as I, as I said, I, I always felt like an outsider with respect to AIGA. Um, so it was really surprising to me that here you have a group of students at this urban institution. I mean, but the students are very active. Um, but I was also becoming increasingly connected to the design educators community, which also made a huge, huge difference. Um, But then the other thing I recognized as far as like our student chapter is concerned, you know, our students are, are, I mean, the population of our students, there's just a range. There's really a range of backgrounds and experience. And I have come to understand and see how important um, the AIGA student group is to help them find community, Mm -hmm. to connect with other designers um, like peers but also in like connect professionally. So I think part of the larger takeaway for me is that, you know, and and I'm suspicious of institutions, right? Um, But I will say that on a local level, the Mm -hmm. impact where you can sort of see it for yourself, that makes a difference. That makes a difference. Um, And, you know, I still attend the national conferences on occasion, but it's really the educational piece that is most interesting to me. Kind of continuing along the path of design education and and how you you talk to your students about how to get a job, things like that nature. Um, I wanted to ask you when you're teaching these um, more introductory level courses, um, we tend to teach these kind of rules in in design. Mm, Um, Sure. And there's been a lot of conversation that I've read lately around the, the rules and, and if there should be even be rules because who made the rules and right. not long ago? And is that just the rules for like the United States? You know, there's a lot of right. 
welcoming of that. Sure. So I, I do wonder, you know, how how you kind of structure those introductory courses and how you're teaching them to, I guess, see the world as a designer. Um, sure. Best way to put it. Sure. Well, it's it's um, it's a very good question, and so my my answer I can't guarantee that is going to be completely cogent. But I will say that this is something that we are design faculty at Cleveland State we are constantly thinking about. Um, because now it's not even just like, how are we introducing students to design, but also like pandemic, like learning in a pandemic, right? And, and trying to be, and so, so what happens in the classroom is going to be different um, than, than it was pre, pre-COVID. Um, but I will, I will tell you quite honestly that, um, was it the first time I taught intro to type? Um, I, ha- I, I, I really, I was literally in the middle of class talking about um, the international typographic style, uh, you know, Swiss design. And then I realized it's like, I was finally hearing myself speak for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what am I saying? Like, <laughs> like, I understand what I'm saying, but do my, like, do my students are they, are we all on the same page? Mm-hmm. Only because, um, you know, within, within a given class, there's only so much content you can cover. And I think in that moment, I was really taking it for granted that I was the educator coming into the classroom and I had experience teaching type and I'm going to teach them yeah. as opposed to really thinking about my students individ- as individuals and what they, what sort of information or knowledge or experiences they were bringing with them into the classroom um, in a very specific way. Um, like if this is their introduction to design, maybe, maybe I should be facilitating more conversations mm-hmm. um, and not questioning the value of, of Swiss design. I mean, that, that's kind of where I learned, really learned about type and that, that sort of educational influence was really really important for me. Um, but just in terms of like creating that, that pathway into design, yeah. are there more slash better ways to do that? So, um, I couldn't, you know, course correct really. I mean, it was really only like in the moment. And after that, that I, I started to sort of rethink some of these things. Um, but I typically teach the web and like UX UI classes. So I don't, I haven't really had a lot of opportunities to teach type, but I happen to be teaching advanced type and intro type again this semester. So I'm, I am taking a different approach. Um, So there are, you know, curricula curriculum pieces that we want them to have um, Mm -hmm. like guidance, let's call it. But I think in, in answer to your question, I think I'm, I'm trying to also inject more conversation more about like for my intro intro to type students, I had them submit just like things that they're influenced by design. It can, you know, it could be whatever, um, creative things that they're excited about and passionate about um, to use that as a launching off point to talk about, like to get them, you know, interested in what we're gonna do over the course of the semester and not just take it for granted that they're in this class, they registered for it, yeah. So they're, they're going to be really interested in what I have to say. <laughs> you know, I think that there's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, why should they be interested if I'm just yeah. like 
regurgitating this information to them. So I, I think I'm hoping to do a better job of laying groundwork that gets them invested in the topic and like type as a, as a subject. Um, and then bringing their own sort of influences to the table. So the, the short answer to your question is, I don't know. Um, but I can tell you that I think that there are, you know, certainly the sort of the traditional design education with the type spec books and like those, those kinds of projects and that kind of curriculum ha absolutely has its place. But I think we should be expanding it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, regardless of a student's race, ethnicity, gender, uh, like background in general, like they're bringing those perspectives with them to the classroom. And especially when they're just starting out in design, I think it's really important for them to feel some ownership in it and to see themselves represented or things that they care about represented. Because otherwise, yeah, it's just me telling them like delivering content unto them. And like, I, you know, they may or may not care. And I, I hope that by the end of the semester that students really care about type because they have found things about typography that are interesting to them individually on some sort of personal level. That's really helpful. Yeah, I think um, it, uh, so I just teach intro, obviously, you know that as part of our graduate yes. program. Mm -hmm. And the curriculum gets kind of passed on and then every every person changes it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, um, one of the things, the hardest section that I had was the type design section because they, the list of type designers that they were to look at, they were all white men, mm. like every single one. And I was like, <laughs> there has to be more people that you can be providing them with. Um, right. And so sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm being too open at a certain point, like not sure. giving them any structure or rules. Um, but yeah, trying to find the balance. So that's interesting. Having more of a conversation, I think is, is a good strategy about what they're excited about. Right. And, 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 and really making it a conversation, right. And not just me mm -hmm. like talking to them, um, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, I can talk, I can take up time talking, um, but to really make sure that I am hearing from them and that they feel that what they have to say is valued because I think the, the other thing that I take for granted as an educator, I mean, I come from a family of educators and I um, have always felt more or less, there have been exceptions, but more or less comfortable in the classroom um, from a psychological standpoint. Um, that is not necessarily going to be the case for some students. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I try to be really thoughtful about the fact that if I'm not creating uh, a supportive environment, um, then there, that, that's not going to be good for any of us. And so I think that, that that's really my first thought is how can I make this a space where they feel comfortable, but like not just comfortable, but like that, that their ideas are valued. Yeah. Um, even if the ideas are, are not, you know, the best ideas ever, they're still generating them. It's, it's important for them to feel confident 
doing that because I see some of them, you know, their body language. It's like, I just want, you know, they're, they're ready to, they're sitting way in the back or they're putting their work up in the corner where they hope no one will see the work. They hope no one will see them. Don't make eye contact with me. Um, and I, I guess I see it as part of my, um, goal is to help them get over some of that. Yeah. Um, but it, but it is always a balance between, I mean, I think I'm sort of like you and that, that sometimes I'm too flexible, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, because they do need some, you know, especially starting out, they do need some guidance before you sort of keep everything open-ended, but, um, yeah, it's a delicate balance there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting you bring up critique, um, is kind of, uh, a part where people's voices need to be heard. Um, so additionally, there have been conversations around critique and, and what is effective and what is helpful. And I actually am curious, do you have kind of like a strategy for students that have never done a critique before that, that you talk them through or, or do you play around with different styles of critiques or, or things like that? Um, I think that again, the short answer is sort of all of the above. I think yeah. it is true. It's like, that's another thing that we sort of take for granted. Like I know how to, I know how critique functions more or less. So of course they're going to know how it functions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I learned early on. I mean, I, I guess I, I also, I mean, I'm one of those people who, um, I mean, I, I enjoyed being in the classroom for the most part, but, but I also, experienced a lot of anxiety in the classroom. I think that that's also fair to say. So, um, you know, I, I used to, I don't, I haven't done this lately, but I used to give this talk at the beginning of the semester before the first critique to say, um, it can be very hard to print something out that you worked on, you spent time on, you print it out and you put it up and other people will just start like giving opinions about it whether or not you want them to. Mm-hmm. And, and then recognizing that that's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to do, but that's also part of what design is. And I think the key is to find a way to make, to get students to the point where even if they still don't like people talking about their work, that they know how to receive it, that they know how to give it in a thoughtful way but also receive it in a thoughtful way. Um, And that it isn't just, I like this, or I don't like that, or I don't know. I mean, I think we're we're trying to be um, more um, conscientious about helping to provide them with language to talk about work. That's one of the things that we're we're trying to do a better job of. Um, But then also, I, I tend to like structured critiques. I'm not a fan of typically, I mean, I still do this on occasion, but the whole group is sitting in front of the board and we talk about somebody's work, blah, 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 because I I think that's a way, sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes that style can be helpful, but I also think it's a way for people who are inclined to be disengaged to further disengage from the conversation I also think that sometimes what happens is that students are so focused on their own work. They're not really, they may not be listening anyway. Mm-hmm. So I tend to favor um, critiques that include like a lot of peer feedback. And that, that can be challenging in and of itself because students often want you, the teacher, to tell them whether or not they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I think it's really important that they are, again, like learning how to be thoughtful in giving critique mm-hmm. and being thoughtful in how they receive it and not just, well, Anne told me to do X, Y, Z, because that's not the per- our, our role as educators either, right? Mm-hmm. To, we're not supposed to be art, at least my from my vantage point, my job is not to art direct them. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be giving them guidance and feedback, not telling them to change the color of the type or whatever, or make the logo bigger. Um, so, so I tend to favor critiques that are, you know, I'll have them work in small groups. Um, I actually used to do what are called a, a, a timed protocols where I actually I would put them in groups and set a timer. And mm-hmm. each student has one minute to talk about their work and nobody else can talk during that time. And then, you know, you go around to each person and then they all have a, a chance to debrief informally. Um, but I found, I found that to be helpful when, when I have classes where there are a few students who talk a lot, who yeah. have a lot to say, yeah. which is great. Like you always want to encourage them, but then it also means that there are students who maybe have something insightful or interesting to say, and they're not going to voice it. They're not going to feel comfortable doing that. Um, but I also favor having students write things down on post-its Mm. And then talking about it, because I think that also helps students who, yeah, they're not going to be the first one out of the gate to say something, you know, when you're like, let's open it up for critique. And it's like crickets. Nobody wants to say anything. Um, I mean, I can't stand that scenario. And so I think it's helpful to give them a chance to jot some things down. Yeah. That way um, they, they I know they have something to say because they've written it down. And I will, I'm not afraid to call on students. They, they might not like it, but, but, you know, I do, I do think that's one of the ways in which you help build students' confidence. Yeah. Um, also the students who like to talk a lot. And I'm, I mean, I was one of those, but we, it forces us to have to listen a little bit more closely to what other people are saying. Like, I can't always be raising my hand saying what I think. Um, that it's time to give somebody else a chance yeah. to say something. So, yeah, I guess, again, circling back to your, your question, I try to find ways where they are all actively involved in the critique. Yeah. Um, so it takes different form, like sort of different variations on a theme, um, but all having everybody respond to something in some way. Yeah. That's very helpful. Yeah. That's also very helpful for me personally. So thank you for that advice. <laughs> um, I'm going to try it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, and it's, and it's very easy, you know, I, yeah. again, I think sometimes students, I think it's important to, to talk to students about the value of getting feedback from their peers. Yeah. So that it's to, to try to get away from this model of, I am going to tell, cause they're really looking like they want to know what they have to do to get an A. Right. Right. I mean, I've had some students say that as opposed to what, like placing emphasis on what they're learning. Um, And in fact, one of my colleagues is working on a book right now, uh, Sarah Rutherford, where she's looking at, um, you'd probably be interested in in this book she's working on, Um, but, but she's tackling some of these themes and it's not specific to design, but, but how education, how learning happens in the classroom. And that we as design educators need to change or rethink the way we're doing some of these things mm-hmm. um, and, the, and and emphasize the learning part. Um, 
so she, she's trying some interesting things with her students this semester. Um, but I will just tell you as, as, as one sort of final anecdote on this point, um, I was talking to my advanced uh, type students on day, it was a day one of class. And I, I was sort of talking a little bit about them setting goals for themselves. Like, what is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you want to learn this semester? And then I said, and, and what, consider this, what would happen if, if the grades went away? If you were not assigned a grade on a project mm -hmm. and um, you had to evaluate the success of what you put forward. And there, there wasn't an audible gasp. There was definitely a like, one student was like, you just freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so, so I mean, I, I, I am still one of those who, you know, I think grades have a, a play a role and have a place, yeah. but I'm also trying to shift more of the responsibility I guess, or like responsibility of learning um, to the students so that they yeah. take some ownership and like, what, it, yeah, what is it that you want to accomplish? I have plenty of things I can give you assignments and tasks and things I can tell you to do. Um, but it's important in order to, to, to tap into the, the drive, the internal drive and motivation. I think it's important to, to try to have them think about what they want to accomplish. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I struggle with the, the grading thing too. And I pretty much end up grading really easy because it's also intro. So I'm like, okay, they, you did it, you tried. Right, okay. right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but I think as you move along, you can see people's effort and on certain projects kind of wane and then be stronger on other projects. And maybe that's where grading becomes more important, but. Right, right, right. Um, so this question can be kind of like my last question to try to wrap it up. But um, I know when I first emailed you, I was talking about um, design a lot of people believing that design is neutral and not political. Mm, and yeah. a, lot, a lot of professors <laughs> teaching this like design as social justice warrior kind of vibe. Right, right, um, right. And I guess <laughs> what do you see as like the, this is a big question, but what yeah. do you see as the major pitfalls of that? And, and how, how can you teach in a way where design can be, I mean, it's never going to be like 100% positive, but where we can use it to a more positive, in a more positive way. And, and sure. you talk about that, I guess. This well, it's, it's interesting because even in your phrasing of the question, it's like now I'm thinking, you have me thinking about like design is neutral on one end of this weird spectrum and, and um, like design for social good in, you know, on the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, of, of things we shouldn't be doing, right? Like they're like in principle, some of these ideas sound great, um, but you know, can be, can also be highly problematic. And I think that, um, so, so when it comes to design as neutral, I mean, that that's already for me a non-starter because mm -hmm. it's not neutral and I can find you many examples right out of this, right out of the starting gate. Um, so I think we do a disservice to students by trying to tell them that. Mm -hmm. um, now, does that mean that every piece of design is making um, some sort of like statement, you know, about an issue or whatever? Like, no, not necessarily. I mean, there are 
um, lots of aspects of design that are just, you know, it's like a way to communicate information about events that are happening or, you know, it's, it's not that every, everything has, I don't even know quite what I'm trying to say other than like there, there is no neutrality, but that doesn't mean that everything is also, you know, meant to be uh, political or provocative in some way. Um, so then, then we have design for social good, which in theory, right, is this idea that we as designers are contributing something positive to the world through our design work. And that sounds great on its face. Um, and there, there are lots of other people who can, who can speak to this topic also, I would say. But um, it's, it's just been my observation, even you know, some of what I, I experienced at, at Notre Dame. Um, I think there are ways in which that message becomes too generic or even too watered down. And it wasn't until I started doing a little bit more reading in that area that I realized it's like you, you have this idea in your mind, but you don't know how to articulate it. And then you read something and it's like, oh yes, yes. That's exactly what I've been thinking and feeling. I'm so glad somebody did a good job of writing about it. Um, and I think I, I came across one such essay, which um, to, to try to summarize it was essentially that designers are really not qualified to be doing some of the, the work that we're out there promoting. So that, that's one piece of it. Um, you know, you, you've got people in like the social sciences and like areas like social work and psychology and um, sociology who are learning research methods. That's part of their, you know, PhD. That's part of their, you know, the, the, that, that's part of their, what, what qualifies them to do some of this research work. And while I do think it's important that we as designers are doing research, like we also need to learn how to do the research. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really problematic when we jump into these spaces and we think where our design knowledge inherently gives us the ability to do X, Y, Z. And I, I do think that when you are a designer, um, there are some skill sets that you do have, like that you you know, I'm being very general now, painting in very broad strokes, but being able to collaborate with people in other fields, um, you know, just the general communication skills and the technical skills, but nothing qualifies us, nothing about sort of our foundational knowledge um, qualifies us to be doing some of the work that we want, want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that we collectively in our minds, talk ourselves into believing that we are qualified maybe to, to do it. Um, but it's sort of like, we don't, we, we think we can just walk into a community and apply our design skills and use, you know, like design thinking to have a good conversation about X, Y, Z, like, like a given, you know, maybe, social design topic um but it, it it's you know and there's nothing you know i want to be careful in saying that i think it is important for design to have this component right mm -hmm. i mean if you look at my body of work it's 
you know, it, 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 it might not necessarily, I don't refer to it as designed for social good, but it has that sort of element to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, you know, the, the projects, I don't do a ton of, of contract work anymore, but the work that I do produce, um, it's coming from a place of authenticity. It's, I try to speak from my own, uh, not just, I wouldn't say my own knowledge and understanding, but like the communities that I'm part of, as opposed to speaking for other communities, like having the audacity to think that I can represent these people over there. They didn't appoint me. They didn't vote for me. They didn't uh, approach me, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to them to apply my design skills and knowledge, right? I think that is very problematic. Um, And I think we should be very cautious about presenting those kinds of projects in classes where we haven't carefully thought about the impact Mm -hmm. Um, because that's another thing that happens is that like our students come up with some cool design work and then at the end of it like have we really helped establish community ties have we really done the work of um of integrating ourselves and building like long-term relationships Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of cases, in some cases, yes, I think there are designers who are working to, to do just that. But I think that that um, there's also something kind of trendy and cool about doing a cool social design for design project that you can, that maybe looks really beautiful. And maybe it even receives a lot of awards, but doesn't really show um, the work or the, the, I mean, we're just seeing a deliverable. We're not really seeing the intention and the impact. Um, you know, I, there's a, there's a, um, well, she's a, she is out in California now. Um, Audra Buck Coleman, who is a design researcher. Um, she's a, she's also an educator. Um, but she, this is her area. And she actually, while she was teaching, she got a PhD in, in sociology. I don't know how she did it, but she did. Um, but part of the reason she got her degree is that because it helped her do the kind of research that she wanted to do. Like she was serious about having the requisite skills. Yeah. And so, you know, there are some people like Audra who I think um, really do have the goods that the, the experience and the goods to deliver. Um, but to, to, but you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, from your own experience, how it can be, whether it's design for social good or design thinking, we like to grab on to these like toolkits and like packaged processes, um, as a way to talk about them and introduce them. But I think, I don't think that that's a, necessarily a good practice let's say um so i i guess my the summary of of my response to you is that um generally speaking i think i i I try to approach that topic with caution and prefer in conversations i might be having with other people about design for social good to sort of focus on really good case studies or examples of how we should be doing things or pointing to people who are um, demonstrating the way we should be working and thinking about these things. Um, Yeah, for for many, many reasons. I mean, it's like the sort of the design hero complex and um, which is, yeah, just very, very problematic. Yeah. 
so what do you think could possibly be a more helpful model for students coming into the graduate program? Knowing that that the design program at Notre Dame, I mean, it is, it does have an emphasis on design for social good, which I mm-hmm. think, you know, generally is a, is a positive thing. Yeah. But what do you, have you thought about what might be some better ways? Because Because the other thing too is you could sort of justify I mean, you can justify a lot of things as having some design for social good component if it's yeah. for the betterment of society and community. Yeah. So do you, do you as a graduate student think there maybe is a better way to, to initiate conversations around that? Yeah, I think I do feel as though if you are choosing a more sensitive population, I guess is the best way to put it, then I think maybe partnering with someone who already has deep research in that area um, and then, you you know, working with them on what they need versus like the other way around, like, I want to make this cool thing for you um, would be the way to do it. But sometimes that doesn't feel like it's enough. Um, Right, right, right. Well, I will tell you, I had a a BFA advisee who um, before the even before she I think officially I might not have the timeline right but before she at some point before she officially started working on her BFA stuff she went and volunteered at a local place in South Bend so she spent time like teaching classes and getting to know Mm -hmm. the population there and then introduced like the project that she came up with for her for her BFA thesis and I thought that was a really elegant way to go about it yeah right Mm-hmm. So it's not this forced thing and that you are like in her case that she really was making the effort to like get to know, yeah, the, 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 the this population um, on a personal level and not mm-hmm. as like a BFA at Notre Dame, but just somebody who's there um, taking class. I can't remember if she was, I think she was teaching classes and she might've taken the participated in it. I can't quite remember the details, but, but she, you know, she was very intentional and like getting to know, like getting to know the community there before entering into this. And now we're going to do I what I want you to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind, yeah. Of, kind of attitude. But, uh, right. Yeah. I think that's a good example of like already being in, in the community because that's essentially what she was doing and then, and then proposing it. And I think it's difficult when you have timelines that's the other thing is like you need to deliver something in four months so how am I going to fully be a part of a community and like create a thing for that right Right. like that's not possible in four months but anyway right side note yeah (laughs) um well thank you so much for letting me interview you this was really helpful Um, And it was so great to talk to you more. Great talking with you. And thank you for the invitation. And um, I hope you feel better soon and good luck with the rest of your semester. Thank you. This episode was recorded on January 28th, 2022 at 12.45 p.m. If you like this podcast, please check us out on Instagram at designisnotneutral. Thank you.